819, time for Counterpoint today. Omar Khan, VP and Public Affairs at Hill and Knowlton. And Jacqueline Dobson joins us. She's a PC strategist, government policy and affairs. I just kind of mashed it all together because you guys all have long titles, okay? There you go. (laughs) Uh, Let's start with the story that I just spoke about uh, before you guys came in. It involves this Toronto teacher suing officials. Uh, let me. I'm going to ask uh, the board ops to pu- pull a little bit of that song, but he, it's over a song called Land of the Silver Birch. Here's a little bit of the song so you can hear how offensive apparently this is. Land of the Silver Birch, home of the beaver, where still the mighty moose wanders at will. Through lake and rocky shore, I will return once more. Boom, diddy, boom, 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 diddy. Okay, do either of you remember that song? Yeah, I'm pretty sure we sang that in kindergarten. No, we did. I think everyone yeah. sang it in kindergarten. No, yeah, I totally dip, dip remember that. swing at one point, I think. Well, a teacher in Toronto taught her kids to sing that for a, for a pageant, I guess. And about a year later, a letter came out from the school essentially calling it racist and making an apology. And so she's suing them now for defamation to the tune of 75K. But I just talked to the, the author of that song's cousin, who is native, and she's like, it's not racist. So is this just a board of out of control? I think this is a bona fide case of being proactively politically correct, which is yeah. the worst way to be. Look at the you know, you know I, I, despite the fact that I'm a liberal, and you'll probably call me a champagne socialist here on this <laughs> panel. Um, I don't tend to be one of the political correctness warriors, except when it comes to Canada's indigenous communities. And look, I, I had the, um, I was going to say honor, but it wasn't really an honor at this time, uh, to have been up to Attawapiskat mm-hmm. at the height of the uh, youth suicide crisis with, yep. my, with my former boss, the Minister of Health. Where they still don't have clean drinking water? Yep. Yeah. Um, but if you were there and you could see some of these teenage kids who, who had to be held up uh, by their friends because they were about to pass out because they were so emotional, um, talking about their experiences and, and then listen to their parents talk about uh, how they grew up never knowing what love was because their parents were abused in residential schools. Look, I think we got to be extra, extra careful when it comes to our Indigenous communities. Look, I just there, heard there, those lyrics. I don't yeah. think I don't think they're racist. Um, so I'm going to let the board answer for themselves, uh, answer for their actions themselves. But I do think as a society, when it comes to how we talk about and how we describe and how we um, put forward the history vis-a-vis our indigenous communities. We've got to be very careful. We've got to remember, it was European settlers in this country who used uh, essentially biological warfare by handing out smallpox blankets to our indigenous communities. That was. I get that. Uh, I get that. There's. I get that. There's a history. We, we got to own up to it. Is However, what I'm but that's not what the, this issue is. You know, if they'd done their research, and as the woman, Terry, who I spoke with said, had they come to the indigenous community, we could have spared them some embarrassment and said, this, there's no issue with this song. First of all, it's written by a woman who's half native, and the native community doesn't have an issue with it. Yeah, and I think if people are going to be so enthusiastic about defending racism of our indigenous populations, <clears throat> you know, let's scratch the surface a bit more than what this song is allegedly talking about let's go back to talking about the clean drinking water or that, the disparities of health education totally infrastructure on reserves like those yeah. are bigger issues that i think we should be spending our time talking yeah. about here as opposed to the, the chief of atawapiskat when i went up there Jerry suspense yes uh, no 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 the the so the one the one bruce Shish, he, okay. he he immediately followed her 
Um, he uh, he had to sleep on his buddy's couch because there wasn't enough housing even for the chief. I know, but who? That, that's a, that's a, that's atrocious. Again, but you know you can blame all levels of government for this. But the current level of uh, the current government could have fixed started fixing that, and they they haven't done anything. So there's still all hundreds and well, hundreds of reserves that have no drinking yeah, water. That's fair. While we're shelling out hundreds of millions of dollars to other countries. Yeah. Sorry, it's hard to have this debate if we're not taking care of our own. But totally. to me, this speaks to. Uh, the worst kind of political correctness, because as I, I have a young child, I want him to learn about these things. I don't want a board being proactively politically correct, especially when it's not necessary. I want him to learn about these things. And this to me is just... And I think context is important, right? You can play this song and you can talk about some of the context around uh, the, the broader lyrics with respect to the time that the song was written and also context around the author of the song because you know the short amount of reading I did today about this uh, I understand that she was actually fairly politically active when mm-hmm. it came to indigenous rights in this country mm-hmm. um, so I, th- I think contextual discussions are important look Which I, I just, I just heard the song mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think those lyrics are racist uh, but I, I do think, like I said, we have to be extra careful on this issue. I, I get it, but the teacher's going to the teacher's going to win, and I don't blame her for launching a suit because she has to wear the title of racist. And had the school just done a bit of due diligence, neither. I mean, we better not be paying these court costs. I can tell you that the taxpayers <laughs> better not be paying these ta- these court costs. I'll let you wrap up on the last point. Anything else? Yeah, I think what you were saying, Omar, is context is very important. Um, although music and melodies may be timeless, think of Ode to Joy or Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, right? Those, that's a melody that's been used for yeah. hundreds of years and is appropriate. But when it comes to lyrics, that's something that can be a bit touchy-feely, especially yeah. depending on what's happening in society. But to what you said, Alex, I think this is a case of being proactively politically correct. Proactively ludicrous. All right, let's talk about the next one. Well, it is. It's ludicrous. It's just stupid from up to down and every in between. Um, let's call this one the social media snitch. This is actually pretty unbelievable. A woman traveling on one. a train overheard a man bragging to his friends about cheating on his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the guy's a douche. Uh, is she a busybody? Because she tweeted it out to her 24 followers, and you guys know what happens next. It goes viral. She tweeted, if anyone has a boyfriend named Ben on the Manchester train right now, he's just told his friends he's cheating on you. Dump his bum. It's now been tweeting tens of thousands uh, of times. Uh, is this a good deed or a nosy Nelly? I think this is a dumb boyfriend. Uh- <laughs> To be honest, are people not allowed to have conversations on trains anymore? Jacqueline and I are are former political staffers from opposite (laughs) sides of the aisle. So that's what's wrong with you. So opposite sides of the (laughs) aisle. Uh, But look, I can't tell you the times I've been on a train and I've heard like a conservative staffer talking about uh you know their 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 plans for a certain writing or or what or you know I was at a dinner once and junior liberal staffers uh, were complaining about their boss. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, I could hear everything they were saying. But the point is, when you're on a train, um, don't talk about private things. <laughs> okay, but, but, okay so good good point then. Omar says, don't talk about private things. Are you not entitled in this social media world privacy? He wasn't speaking to anyone else. He was talking to his friends, OP, people overheard. But either you have no life or you're just a super uptight, anal, retentive you know, busybody. Yeah, the first thing I thought when I read this story was, uh, for all the millennials listening, that this is Gossip Girl, XOXO, come to life. For all the non-millennials that are listening, you know, this is 1984 and Big Brother is always watching. 
So, but who's got the time? I hear all sorts of stuff. I don't even think, oh, I'm going to tweet that out. Oh, that's so cute. Like, I, I don't care what you do in your life. Yeah. I don't care what you do in your life. As long as you're not hurting anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, it, but this should be a lesson for people, right? Like, you and I might not care, but look, if you're, in a, if you're on, a, on a train, and that's public domain. Anything you say there is fair game. Yeah, okay. Well, I, I'll be curious to know if, if said boyfriend has been dumped and i'm curious to know like what goes around comes around for emily right like <laughs> yeah, apparently <laughs> she's got to be careful what she says on no a train kidding. now good or on point. a streetcar or on a bus i think you raise actually <laughs> really I, I, good got, point. I gotta go and add her on twitter now <laughs> <laughs> well i guarantee you she's got a whole bunch of new followers yeah. it'd be interesting to see uh how her life now uh, is affected by this because she probably thought she was being cheeky maybe she thought she was being a bit feminist uh but you know what the pylon can be in social media it can be brutal mm-hmm. and there can be a real backlash She'll, she'll get her 10 minutes of fame and then she'll be forgotten. And then infamy. All right, we're going to wrap that here. You guys are going to stay with us. We'll continue our counterpart coming up. Toronto Council just, of course, sticking it, the stick of their finger in the old uh, Airbnb business. Of course they are. They can't help themselves. We'll take a quick break. I'm Alex Pearson. This is On Point. You're listening to Global News Radio. Now, back to On Point with Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. All right, great to have you back. We are in CounterPoint. Omar Khan, VP Public Affairs at Hill and Knowlton, is up against Jacqueline Dobson. She is a PC strategist involved with government policy and affairs. Uh, where were we? Yes, Toronto City Council just getting involved in voting on um, the B&B issue. So they have voted to stopping anyone in the city from the following, listing any property other than their principal home. So if they have an extra house outside on Airbnb, The regulations will also mean if you rent out parts of your home, they must pay $50 to the city. Shocker. It caps the number of nights units can be rented to $180 a year. And the capper, yep, companies doing short-term rentals have to pay a dollar to the city for each night of booking. And yes, of course, a fee of $5,000. I'll start with you, Jacqueline. Why can't they just keep their hands off the private market? Like, why or should they? More fees, more regulations, just what this city needs. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Honestly, I think they didn't even do this much to Uber. Well, that's what I was saying to Omar in the green room before we came in. This is deja vu of the Uber issue going through City Hall a couple years ago. Let's just slap more regulation and more red tape on and hope it fixes itself. If we want to fix the lack of rental units available in this city or the escalating prices, I don't think Airbnb is the way. Well, no, hey, they got the government, the provincial government has 812 empty buildings. Maybe they could free those up. (laughs) But Omar, I mean, do, do you need. To over, I think this is over-regulation and, and a cash grab. Frankly, I think it's yeah. a cash grab. And and other you know municipalities outside of Toronto will be looking at this because then they will base you know the precedent has been set and they will base their regulations off of what Toronto does. Well, I really hope Nashville and New Orleans don't look at this because as somebody who's taken uh, several boys trips over the years. Uh, to drink copious amounts of alcohol with 15 <laughs> dudes in a room. Uh, it's hard to do that in a hotel room. Yeah. No, but, but, but in all seriousness, look, uh, if we want to address the affordable housing crisis in this city and in this province, we need to build more affordable housing, uh, whether it's in London, whether it's in Toronto, whether it's in Ottawa. And instead, uh, we're I don't building think a $1.7 billion <laughs> park in downtown I don't think the answer is to regulate Grandma Jones, who may own a small condo in London and wants to make a little bit of extra cash on the side. I think this is nanny statism yeah. at its worst. Really? Okay. Yeah, I think so. And I'm a liberal and I'm saying Yeah, this. look, well, look, I, I 
used Airbnb. We were renovating our house. We needed a long-term place. We could not find anything. Mm -hmm. And I have a dog and a young child and 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 we had to get something and went to Airbnb, got a great place in our community and it worked out really, really well. Or you could be a couple um, who's had a unexpected expense sure uh, that's potentially bankrupting you uh, but you might be able to put your uh, basement on uh, on uh, up, up for, up for um for short-term rental uh, to to visitors or tourists or even students to help cover some of those costs the point is we're taking options away here from middle class people um, and you know I think that, I just think there's a better way to deal with the housing with with the uh, rental shortage so what does Airbnb do well, I'm in a bit should, of awe because Omar and I actually agree on an issue right now. I think they should hire a, a, a lobbyist sure from the Nolton Strategies. I'm sure that they had a few, but the bottom line is uh, the city, which is mainly left-leaning, they came mm-hmm. in with a, a an agenda and they went with the agenda. I think to me it was very obvious all the way all along that they were going to regulate this thing. You know, yeah. I'm looking at the article here, and it's from the um, city councilor from Parkdale High Park. Mm-hmm. I used to live in that riding that ward and it was one floor of a house that was divided up into four units and i'm sure some of them went on airbnb but there's all these massive manor homes in that area that are no longer single family dwellings they're divided up and they're not cheap they'll they'll just drive it underground i think what airbnb should do is leverage the probably thousands of people across the gta and even more in ontario uh, who who supplement their income uh, based on their platform? I think that's a fairly uh, they're probably mostly middle class, so it, it makes them a fairly uh, vociferous lobby group uh, moving into a municipal election cycle mm-hmm. next yeah. year. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, in the next five minutes, we're going to solve the Middle East. Okay, I wanted to talk about this. <laughs> Great. Uh, protesters, uh, including Hamas, who I would say are not just protesters; they're terrorists, are promising a day of rage on Friday. So that's tomorrow over Donald Trump's move to officially recognize Jerusalem as Israel's capital. He is the first president to actually put his words into action on this. Uh, Justin Trudeau kind of remained coy on the topic. He said Canada will not move our embassy from Tel Aviv. Instead, focus on two-state solution. This has been the country's position all the way along. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, I'll start with you on this, Jacqueline. I, has he picked a fight with Trump on this? I mean, would this have been, been a moment that he should have said, yeah, we also will do the same? I mean, Joe Clark, if he had been able to hold on to power, said he would have done this. Yeah. Well, I think we should just ask Trudeau to chat with Ivanka on this one. They seem to be pretty chummy, and I'm sure she could tell him what to do. <laughs> yeah, well, but the bottom line is yeah. he's not willing to take a stance on anything. It's certainly not this. I'm not surprised that he didn't say anything. And to his credit, this was the position yeah. before with Harper. Well, well he took a stand. He said he's not going to do it. Uh, look, I'm, I'm just going to jump in here for a second because I'm one, a Muslim, two, I'm co-chair of the, uh, the the biggest fundraiser in Toronto for the Canadian Jewish Political Action Committee. And I, then I'll, I'll come out and say, and I'm Jewish. So, there you go. You know, for, for, for transparency's mm-hmm. sake. Look, the, 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 the Israeli Knesset is in Jerusalem. Yep. There's not going to be a peace deal that is ever signed Never. that will not have Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. So let's move on from that. But the there United Nations ma- has recognized Jerusalem as a capital. So the, the, I mean, there there are many issues uh, in the Middle East much more important than whether or not the U.S. embassy is one hour away in Tel Aviv or in Jerusalem. I, I get the symbolism. No, no, no. no. I get it's the symbolism. Very, any other country? Is there any other country? There may be, but yeah. maybe one. Is there any other country where the embassy is not in the capital? It, 
I think the United or is it States, just Israel? I think the United States would be the first country to put the embassy in right. Jerusalem. Which I think, look, at the end of the day, uh, like I said... Symbolism does matter. Symbolism matters, and, and any final peace settlement is, is going to have Jerusalem as the capital of... a of, of, of uh, united Jerusalem as the capital of the state of Israel. But I think what uh, Prime Minister Trudeau and other Western leaders need to focus on is supporting the state of Israel as the only democracy in the Middle East, uh, but, also, but also boosting democratic elements and moderate elements within the, the broader Middle East, within the Middle East and the broader Muslim world. Uh, so there are elements there in, the, in this region that support democracy. I think they need to be boosted. Yeah, I think this issue needs to be more focused on building relationships and bringing people together to try and, you know, this is... And you could have a PhD in this subject and still only scratch the surface. Of, sure, of course, it's you all, know of how to solve this issue. But they all, the fallback line of well, we'll wait until you know we only want a two-state solution. The bottom line is you can't have a two-state solution if the partner that you're trying to build that with will never ever recognize yeah. uh, Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. So it is it is unless we don't know something that's going on, it, it is impossible. It, so that's just uh, rhetoric to me. I, I'm, I, as I said last time, I believe I was on this show, I'm a big fan of uh, some aspects of what Bill Clinton did. Um, he said he would do it, and he didn't do it. Uh, but, but one of the things that, uh, one of the qu quotes for, uh, that really stays with me to this day from Bill Clinton uh, was the day his, his peace initiative fell apart with, um, I believe it was Ehud Barak at the time, uh, and Yasser Arafat. And what he said was, look, everybody knows what the broad strokes of a final peace settlement are going to look like. It's going to look like the deal that was just rejected today by Yasser Arafat. Mm -hmm. The only question is how many people have to die between now and then. And that was, I believe, in 1999. Yeah. So almost 20 years later, we're still going at it. Yeah, sure. And and, and peace, you know, people, the uh, embassies have been in Tel Aviv for two decades and you couldn't get peace that way. So it, mm -hmm. it's not coming. But I think uh, we can agree Donald Trump cannot be a part of then negotiating, or can he, uh, in, in some kind of state deal, can he? Because I think he takes him out of himself out of the running by, by this move. He's, he has so many deals on the go right now. It's it's hard to keep track um, with all of his rogue announcements that he seems to do. But you know, this this one's a, t a tough one for me too. Yeah, well, it's complex for sure. But yeah, it, there's of lots of layers to this onion here. Look, he, I think getting a deal in the near future is going to be tough, uh, regardless of who's trying, just because of all the complexities on both sides. The volatility. Right all right, guys, we got to leave it there. Jacqueline and Omar joining us for this edition of CounterPoint. All right, it is 8.41. We are going to take a quick break. When we come back, Al Franken, yeah, he had to take, well, he's got to leave. And before he did so, he took a big old swipe at Donald Trump. We'll talk about that and should he have stepped down. I'm Alex Pearson. This is On Point. You're listening to Global News Radio.